Hey, no experts allowed family. JD here. As you may have picked up on from our last episodes and from the echo in some of our audio, it's a big transition time for me right now as I start a new job, our family moves to a new home, and I have some other big events in the next few weeks. We've each picked out one of our favorite episodes to re-air during this brief winter break. And don't worry, we'll be back in your feeds with a brand new episode on Saturday, February 19th. We love you, and don't forget to check us out on our website, www.noexpertsallowed.com. Enjoy the show. I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others, instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story? And what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Jonathan, how are you doing today? Good, Seth. It's good to see your beautiful face. I wish everyone could see your beautiful face. (laughs) Maybe we should record the video for one of these one time. Maybe. But then I'd have to look better than I look normally when (laughs) we record these. (laughs) (laughs) Well, moving on from looking better, I have a very special... I almost said a very particular question. It is a particular question. (laughs) But a very special question. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to gain 1 million Instagram and Twitter followers? Or would you want a free lifetime supply of Winnie's dog food? Oh, man. (laughs) Well... We're pretty sure they discontinued Winnie's dog food, so we're trying to figure out how to transition her to something new. (laughs) Wait, question. Is this my lifetime supply or Winnie's lifetime supply? Oh, good question. I was thinking Winnie's, but let's go your life. It's up the stakes. (laughs) You could also also use this lifetime supply post-Winnie. Well, if that's the case, then I think I would go with Instagram followers, because presumably I'm going to outlive Winnie by a long time. And that's a lot of dog food that I don't know what <laughs> I'm going to do with unless I get another dog. But that's yeah. too much to think about right now. And instead, <laughs> with my additional followers on Twitter and Instagram, I will probably be able to quit my job and become an influencer full time. And then I could just buy her all the dog food she wants. In reality, I could probably buy her some steaks and cook them up. As kebabs or as whole steaks, depending on her preference. Just feed her that instead of whatever her kibble's made of. Anyways, rant over. Give me the followers. My favorite part of the rant was whether you were going to make her steak or kebabs, depending on her preference. And I was wondering how you were going to determine which one was her favorite. You put a steak on the ground, you put a kebab on the ground. See which one she eats first. Or is she saving the best for last? No. 
She doesn't have that. She doesn't have that she kind of self control. <laughs> yeah, Marshall doesn't either. This reminds me of a story that I had to edit out of a previous podcast of our friend's dog named Buddy. They cooked him a steak for a special occasion. It was like an eight ounce steak, and he just like swallowed the thing whole. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> they had to watch him for a couple of days, but he was fine. He was a happy boy. I think I would take the dog food, as weird as that is. Wait, wait you would get a lifetime supply of my dog's dog food? Well, Marshall, or is it... Marshall would oh, eat okay. it. He does not you just, care. <laughs> you just asked the question of Winnie's dog food. Yeah, I did. But Marshall eats anything. I don't think he chews. So that, like, what, how it tastes and what its size is is irrelevant to Marshall. But I just think that the followers would go to my head. Oh, I fully anticipate that would be the case for me. I don't think we'd be friends anymore. I don't think you could stand me anymore. But at least I wouldn't be surrounded by mountains of dog food. (laughs) That feels like an unfair comparison, because I would rather still be your friend than than have have to deal with a lot of dog food. We need to move on to the scripture. We do. We're falling apart. <laughs> okay. If you'll read it for us, Jonathan, and try and of course. that'll help us get back on track. Let's hope so. This is Job chapter 1, verse 1, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. A man in the land of Uz was named Job. That man was honest, a person of absolute integrity. He feared God and avoided evil. One day, the divine beings came to present themselves before the Lord. The adversary also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to the adversary, Where have you come from? The adversary answered the Lord, From wandering throughout the earth. The Lord said to the adversary, Have you thought about my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a man who is honest, who is of absolute integrity, who reveres God and avoids evil. He still holds on to his integrity, even though you incited me to ruin him for no reason. The adversary responded to the Lord, Skin for skin, people will give up everything they have in exchange for their lives. But stretch out your hand and strike his bones and flesh. Then he will definitely curse you to your face. The Lord answered the adversary. There he is, within your power. Only preserve his life. The adversary departed from the Lord's presence and struck Job with severe sores from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. Job took a piece of broken pottery to scratch himself and sat down on a mound of ashes. Job's wife said to him, Are you still clinging to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job said to her, You're talking like a foolish woman. Will we receive good from God, but not also receive bad? In all this, Job didn't sin with his lips. Okay, really getting into Job here. First off, why did you go with the Common English Bible? Many translations, instead of using the adversary, will say either Satan or sometimes the Satan. And I think that the Satan is a little bit better because 
this is less of a name and more of a title. But I think that the adversary, as the CEB renders it, is maybe the best way to think about this person's job title. At least in the book of Job, the Satan is anybody who, who indicts, who kind of causes some type of chaos and conflict. And it's only much later, kind of in the development of theology, that we get this this like singular divine being that we think of as Satan. So I, I particularly picked the CEB because of the way that it renders that as more accurate than just Satan. Yeah. I know when I learned that Satan wasn't a name of a character in the Bible, but just like a transliteration of a Hebrew word yeah. that came from this passage, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> a lot of what I was told in church was probably not that accurate. <laughs> this is a relatively short passage, but a lot happens here. Is there anything in particular that jumps at you? Yeah, I'm curious to know kind of what or remember... Because I'm sure I've heard this story some point before. But I'm curious to remember what happens kind of on either side of this passage. Because it it sounds like at the beginning, through the first paragraph, that things are escalating from something that already happened. Even though it also feels like it's happening for the first time. I don't know if that distinction makes sense. I think it was from verse 3 at the end where the Lord says to the adversary, still holds on to his integrity, even though you incited me to ruin him for no reason. And it feels so it feels like the adversary's already made one of these proposals to God and Job has passed the test. So I'm curious to remember what happens on either side. I also think it's striking to see Job sitting down in ashes, just like scratching at the sores of his body hmm. with a piece of broken pottery. This is just a really sad image and i don't say that in like a haha look how sad it is but like literally that just sounds miserable and to like he's totally dejected it's just a really yeah powerful image what comes right before this is i think the part that most people actually remember about the prologue to job it's before this the adversary has a very similar conversation with God, says, I'm like, I'm going to test this guy, and I'm going to try and break him. So he, the adversary destroys all of Job's livestock, which doesn't cause Job to, like, give up his faith to curse God. So then the adversary kills all of his children, or causes them all to die, which is terrible. So I, I think that's the part that most people remember, and it's the next step that the adversary says, well, let me try and take his own health and see if that will be kind of the breaking point. And that's what we get in our passage today. I can only think of the words of Ron Burgundy. <laughs> well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. I just want to make kind of a, a general note, I guess, just like we talked about Esther last week and a little bit about the book. I just want to kind of set the stage here for both the book as a whole, but also the way that the lectionary splits it apart. So the lectionary covers Job in four different readings over the next four Sundays. So this would be the first one. 
And then we get kind of a sample of Job's complaint to or against God next week. And it's chapters 23 verses 1 through 9. And then the next week, we hear some of God's response to Job in chapter 38 verses 1 through 7. And then on the fourth Sunday, we hear the very end of Job and what's kind of a bookend. And we hear about Job's restoration to health and he his livestock overturned and his he gets a new family. And that all takes place uh, in chapter 42. So over the next four Sundays, what, what we kind of get from the lectionary is little snippets, but it's an attempt to kind of sample what the whole book has to offer us. So I just wanted to add that, that what we have right now is is the very beginning. It's like the appetizer to the rest of the lectionaries four weeks. Yeah, and to, and to do four weeks for a 42 chapter long book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a gross injustice. But it is. Agreed. It explains kind of why the, you know, the weird togetherness of the first verse together with these first 10 verses in chapter two as well. Interesting. I, I think the other, the other piece of that too, that I appreciate is the way that the lectionary explores this book as a whole it does kind of correspond with how I think if we are familiar with Job, how we talk about it. It's like Job had a lot. He lost it all. He complains about it. God responds and then restores everything. But it also kind of stretches us beyond that narrative a little bit too. Because it takes us a little bit longer to pay attention and say uh, that we are going to make space for in our worship and in our theology for these conversations about, Hey, does, where does our suffering come from? And where does God factor into all of that as well? I think Job stands out to me in the Hebrew Bible, especially though in how it talks about evil and suffering because Job is portrayed as this person who's never done anything wrong, right? We read that at the very beginning honest, a person of absolute integrity. He feared God and avoided evil. When you hear that kind of repetition, it's like adding an exclamation point to whatever point you're trying to make. And it's four ways of saying, he's a good dude. He didn't do anything to deserve this. And it ends with God saying, I'm God, you're not. You need to understand that, that sometimes things happen that you're, you may not deserve. And the whole argument between Job and his friends during the book is like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And his friends are like, you must have done something to deserve this. Because that's the narrative that we hear in other places in the Hebrew Bible, especially. It's like people get what they deserve. Like you reap what you sow. And the book of Job just seems to take that understanding and just throw it up in the air and see what lands, you know? You have me thinking about where else we hear this idea that if someone suffers... Well, of course they did something wrong. Like, I'm wondering about the ways that that comes back, not only in the Hebrew Bible, but the ways that comes back even now, too. Yeah, it it almost gives you the feeling of... Well, honestly, I think about people in this situation where something horrible or tragic has happened to them, or honestly, more often, something that like might feel hard but isn't actually that bad um 
But to them, in the moment, it feels like a real struggle. And the statement, like, what did I do to deserve this? It's like this Jobian, <laughs> Jobian defense of, of sorts. Like, I've lived a good life. Why should I have to have to pay? And I don't know. And I've, I've heard that excuse as a defense for a lot of things, especially among white people. For some reason, we have this value, like, if we can say of ourselves or of our neighbor, yeah, we're a good person. I'm a good person. But we don't have any, like, measurable standard to, <laughs> yeah. you know, which we're judging that 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 is supposed to excuse us from ever experiencing anything that we don't think we deserve yeah we get to make that comment and set the standard about whether we've cleared the bar that that good person bar and of course when we set the bar we make it every time right yeah i think i've i've probably used that phrase hopefully half jokingly when i go to the grocery store and like all the, there's like no parking spaces it's like i have to park way out and i'm like oh, what did i do to deserve this <laughs> which is which is not the situation which is not a yeah. comparable situation to how job finds himself and i'm also thinking about like not to go too serious too quickly too but i'm also thinking of situations i'm especially thinking of situations when i was working as a hospital chaplain when i was with families that asked that question and had more of an experience yeah. like job mm. think of the family i was with with a grandmother who had just lost her grandson in a car accident for them those questions ring a little bit more true but they still highlight you know joking or in a serious way they highlight how we look at good and bad things happening in the world and expect some sort of systemic input and output mm, yeah. it's like i do good things therefore i deserve good things a lot of the privilege that is behind that i think isolates us from the reality of other experiences that are consistently more like jobs that have still no tangible thing they can point to to say oh i did that bad thing and i therefore i deserve this when in reality the things that lead to those tragic things are things like being born in poverty or being born with a certain skin color or being born with a certain gender identity that folks have nothing to do with you know like it's not it's not a result of them doing bad things. It is a result of the way we have ordered mm. our world. We see often in kind of these these more extreme situations, if I can use that term, of, of what I'll call real suffering, not the grocery store parking lot type of suffering, but, yeah. <laughs> but in the real situations of anguish, that those like Job's situation, people have no way of explaining based on their behavior, those happen even when people have seemingly done nothing wrong, either by their standards or by kind of the majority. It's something that they can't choose. And of those different kind of markers that you talked about, I always think that those are also what's on my driver's license and that there's this weird irony that I didn't pick any of those. I only speak for myself. Mm. Because I think now, and this is this is positive that you can you can change some of them, but it, it requires like 
an enormous amount of paperwork and like legal battles almost, but kind of the things that just come on my driver's license, my name and my, my sex and even my height, like those were all given to me. I didn't get to choose them, but they all also reflect kind of who, who I am and what's open to me in the world, what I can do and can't do. My height less so than some of the others. Yeah. But. <laughs> and I also think, Seth, about how the converse of what we're talking about also adds to an interesting dynamic here. That people who do what are widely accepted as harmful, shameful, bad things get away with it, too. And often a lot of the, dy- the dynamics that we just talked about, a lot of the demographics, to put it really technically, those have a role to play there as well. That it feels like bad things happen to good people, to use that false dichotomy, and also that a lot of good things happen to a lot of bad people. And I, and I think what I appreciate about Job is how much it turns that, that system, that dichotomy... That's evident in scripture. Again, as we said before, it turns it on its head and it gives us an expression in scripture of how we experience good and bad. Again, to put it in that language, gives us an experience that reflects our experience, that we know that our world is not a one-to-one input-output scenario, but is far more complex in how we experience the world around us, that we're not born on an equal playing field. And because of that, we have access to things that maybe isolate us and protect us from some things that could harm us, or conversely, leave us vulnerable to things that might harm or hurt us along the way. It reminds me of this this tweet that's going viral recently, and it says, me is depressed, reads Ecclesiastes, me is depressed biblically. And this just reminds me of kind of like, here here we are confused by the way that the world works. And then we read Job. Now we're still confused by the way that the world works, but biblically. Like, this is the same, right? Right. We see our confusion. Yeah, we see our confusion in the text. And isn't that... Like, there is part of that that's so frustrating, especially if you've come from a tradition that says the Bible has all the answers that you need. I remember I used to have this book on my shelf. It was a, you know those books that are surprisingly heavy because they have like a really thick paper in them. And it's just like, why does this book weigh 15 pounds? And <laughs> and I I had one of those. It was probably the size of an index card, but it was probably three inches thick. It was called the Complete Bible Answer Book. And it had like tons of questions about the Bible with the answer, with air quotes for our listeners, um, to each question. Like, why do people say that evolution happened when the Bible says that creation happened in six days? Like okay. those kinds yeah. of questions and answers. But when you come from a, an environment that says the Bible has the answers to the world's toughest questions and you come to it looking for an answer to your deepest suffering and you read job and you get an answer that's just like either god doesn't 
care or you know you could take all of these conclusions away from it when in reality i think we need to be looking for our questions in the scripture not the answers to those you're right that when we come expecting answers we we often just leave disappointed but i do think that we can come looking for ourselves in the text like seeing the seeing the way that job is kind of confused by his suffering seeing the way that his wife is confused by her suffering that's that's seemingly related to his right we can see their confusion and we can see our confusion in that that we can be confused too by why some people get away with stuff that we think they should never ever get away with and why the two-year-old is diagnosed with leukemia yeah I just think when, as we've said, when we go to the Bible looking for answers, we will walk away disappointed or, as has happened too often throughout our history, we'll come away with answers that misrepresent God Mm. and harm God's people, God's beloved Mm. children as a result because we are unwilling to embrace ambiguity uncertainty and mystery and instead we're looking for something that spelled it out in a way that gave us something definitive and certain and that just caused a lot of destruction job has some of the the most difficult hebrew in all of the hebrew bible especially the the poetry section the actual prose like we just read for today's episode is is not too hard but when you get to the poetry it's like impossible And that has led some scholars to say that what Job is, is actually a vocabulary exercise. Hmm. And I just wonder if that isn't an attempt not to wrestle with the ambiguity of it and all the hard questions it presents. But to say, well, let's let's bracket the theological section. It's not meant to answer those questions. It's just a vocabulary exercise for Hebrew scribes. Hmm. It can be both to me it can both be a really good vocabulary exercise yeah. and it can and it can also deal with with the complexities and the ambiguities of life i just think we need to pray yeah me too will you pray with me i'd love that gracious god our struggles are not with satan or with our own righteousness nor are they signs of sinfulness or faithlessness Rather, they're part and parcel of life in a world that's beset by fear, hatred, and greed. Help us to live into life's ambiguities, not demanding answers, but being assured by your gracious presence with us. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Jonathan, what story will we tell next week? Next week... We're going to talk a little bit more about the Bible because we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it. The adversary answered the Lord from wandering throughout the earth. The Lord said to the adversary... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> 
Just your voice for the adversary. <laughs> okay, I tried to hold it together, but...